Welcome to episode 87, Teletherapy. It's more effective than you think and how to make it even better. Featuring Dr. Kate Campbell, licensed marriage and family therapist, and Katie Lemieux, licensed marriage and family therapist. By Clearly Clinical, learn, grow, shine. Hi, everyone. This is Beth Riaz, and I'm excited to spend some time today with Dr. Kate Campbell. She's a licensed marriage and family therapist, and Katie Lemieux, also licensed marriage and family therapist. Today, they're joining us to talk about not only the efficacy of telehealth, but some ways to make it as effective as we can with our clients. I know many of us are really rapidly making this transition to telehealth. It's an area of discomfort for many of us, and I'm excited to have both of them here to speak on this because it's something they've been doing for years years and also teach other people to do. So Kate, Katie, thank you for joining us. And Katie, um, please, why don't you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself? Beth, thank you so much for having us. We really appreciate it. And this is really a topic that we do love to, we really enjoy talking about. Um, I am a licensed marriage and family therapist, as you, as you stated, um, and have been in private practice for about a decade now. And Kate and I both built our successful private practices from the ground up, and we really help other therapists to do the same. We've taught ethics and boundaries, medical errors, laws and rules. We've taught the supervision course here in Florida and um, have been supervisors ourselves. So we're definitely involved in this information constantly. Wonderful. Thank you, Katie. And Kate, how about you? Hi, Beth. Thank you so much for having us on. We're really delighted to be here in the midst of such a crazy time with the coronavirus pandemic. And I know that listeners will be listening um, maybe during this time and maybe after this time as well. But it's definitely a very helpful topic. And just to tell you a little bit about myself, I've been in private practice since 2006. I started out as a solopreneur and then launched a group practice. It's been just about a decade that I've had a group practice here in Fort Lauderdale called Bayview Therapy. And we've got about 20 clinicians on our team. And so it's a very interesting time as the majority of us have transitioned to telehealth because of the the situation that's happened. And it is such a helpful service to be able to provide because this is the way of the future. It's the way of the present right now um, and definitely the way of the future. And then Katie and I, like Katie was saying, have been working together with a private practice startup where we really help to inspire clinicians across the globe to really brand themselves and grow their dream practices. And there's a lot of different ways that we go about that. So we're excited to dive in today's topic. Awesome. Thank you to you both. So telehealth. Um we have so many clinicians, myself included, that are not accustomed to doing this. We're adapting to what it means to practice, to be therapists, to hold space during such a grave and scary time. And I know our hope today is to try to pass along some information that helps people feel more confident because I think it just feels really, um, really uncertain. So so let's start by talking about telehealth and um, really what what it is, you know, does that include phone therapy? Is it just video? Like, let's just do a, a quick primer on what telehealth is. Telehealth is, it can be a number of things. Katie and I like to call it TAC, Technology Assisted Counseling. And um, so TAC can include video conferencing on a HIPAA compliant video platform, something like zoom.us or a lot of the EHRs nowadays have that, doxy.me, vc.com. There's a lot of different a lot of different options for that. Also, it can include phone counseling. So telehealth could be online counseling, technology-assisted counseling. Katie and I like to refer to it as TAC for short. Got it. Thank you. So one thing that I know I've seen on social media, and so as we're recording this, it's March 31st. And as you said, we don't necessarily know when people are going to be listening to this, but we're recording this specifically in response to the COVID-19 pandemic and all of these changes. One thing that I've seen is an increase in questions about telehealth and insurance. Can you just take a quick minute for those people out there that are insurance providers, what should they be asking their insurance companies about covering telemedicine right now? Man, I'm really glad that yesterday I did a whole Facebook Live on on this about an hour with actually one of our guest experts is Justin Gaines from Greenpoint Med. Um, Kate and I, since we've built our practices just private pay solely, um, we always reach out to gain some understanding. And so some of the things that have been changing is, you know, most insurance providers are, you know, allowing telehealth, but always check with your insurance provider first. Um, the other thing is the place of service codes have changed, like for, you know, billing purposes, as well as the modifier. So the modifier GT, Golf Tango, or 95 would be 
not attached to um, the code of the service that you are providing. So those are some of the changes. Um, right now, during the crisis, there's a lot of discussion about um, co-pays being waived. Um, so therapists are really trying to figure out how to navigate that with their clients. And, you know, one of the things that Kate and I talk about, especially during any type of crisis is communication is key it being proactive. And I think that's part of like what we're going to talk about today is really being proactive around communicating about telehealth. It's not perfect. Some of you are kind of almost forced into this quickly. Um, and the more that you can communicate and understand that there's worries and anxieties, maybe for yourself and for your clients, but the more you can communicate about that and be flexible about that and find a plan, document what that plan is, especially when it comes to insurance and co-pays and things like that, um, then you're going to have way more effectiveness because the reality is, as clients coming to therapy, most of them are anxious about the process anyway. And when we can just address that stuff head on that, Hey, this is not perfect. You know, I might prefer face to face, you might prefer face to face, but hey, this might be temporary for us, or who knows, you might really love this. Um, and being able to just open discussions about those things, we really serve our clients uh, way better um, than just trying to kind of figure it out or not be, you know, vulnerable about like our own process too. So when we get become more confident with the process of telehealth, is we can then relay that confidence to our clients as well. Thank you. Um, so one of the things that I've seen prior to all of this happening, there are kind of two camps. There's the in-person camp and then there's the online camp of therapists. And that I think, you know, in-person folks have a way of doing it, reasons for doing it, and just like the online people do. And yet now we have the in-person people that are part of that other camp and are adjusting to it. One of the big questions that I've heard from people, is it as effective as face-to-face so let's start there. What what do clinicians need to know about whether or not this actually works the same way as face-to-face therapy? There's been some great articles, I believe, in the APA um, Journal of Psychology 2018, 2014, that has really talked about the effectiveness of telehealth, looking at like clients with depression or anxiety. Um, it is... Um, as it's comparable as effective and sometimes it's even more effective to really expand the reach and serve other people. Um, right now, I mean, we are still serving our clients, right? And we're doing it in a very different way. There's certain populations of people that, you know, telehealth and technology assisted counseling can serve. You know, one of the things that we talk about is we look at, you know, maybe military, active duty military, right? So, um, or expats, you know, these are populations of people who sometimes want to stay connected to people who understand their culture or their language. That's really important. Um, I've seen and heard, you know, people getting really creative, even working with children or teens um, doing telehealth is um, a lot of the programs have like a whiteboard or something like that, where they can like draw and share and do all these creative things. I know for me personally, I like to use doxy.me um, and I can just pull a document up and screen share. And we talk about that. Um, so there's so many other ways to be able to reach clients, you know, other clients that might not come into the office could be homebound clients or disabled clients um, or elderly. Um, elderly, you know, do suffer a lot of isolation and loneliness. And for elderly who are okay with technology and tech savvy, um, this is a great way to serve those people. So we're really looking at, you know, ways to serve clients better in a way that is more effective for them. I think you bring up a good point of just the increased reach that we have by using telemedicine. And and of course, there are going to be some clients that inherently this doesn't work. You know, certainly there are some therapists that are in situations where they have to be seeing clients face to face because they work in a hospital, because they work with homeless individuals. You know, like there, there are, of course, this, uh, there's a group of therapists that need to be doing face to face. But for the people that are able to do face to face, it opens, or excuse me, able to to do telemedicine, it opens up this kind of can of worms of, you know, is it as effective? And I'm, I'm glad that you brought up that research. And what I've seen as well is, is when we're comparing the effectiveness, the outcomes of face-to-face therapy to online, as you said, they are comparable. And one of the things that I've also seen is uh, one of the things that helps keep them comparable is the importance of a solid connection. And I don't mean between therapist and client, I mean, actual internet connection, that there isn't a delay so that someone's face is moving and uh, and their mouth is moving, but the words are are behind them. Now, you have both worked in this space for a really long time. 
what do you recommend clinicians do when we have research that's saying, okay, telemedicine is as effective as as face-to-face therapy, and the caveat is if there's a delay in, in technology, what do you recommend clinicians do in that case where things get fuzzy because we know everybody is trying to use Zoom and Doxyme and all these services? And this is part of best practices. It's important to really understand what those best practices are when using telehealth and um, TAC, as we were saying earlier. It's important to discuss those logistical things ahead of time so that your client knows at the time of session what to expect. They know who's going to call who, on what platform you're using. They have the specific link if you're using a video conferencing platform, or they they know that you're going to be using a phone number and they're going to call you at this number or you're going to call them. It's good to have a backup plan in place so that if you're on a video conferencing platform and because of the situation now with COVID, so many, there's just this inundated experience on the video conferencing platforms with so many people that it's definitely been affecting the signal for a lot of people. And there are losses of connection. And when your clients know how to navigate that ahead of time by having a plan that is so helpful, whether it's a black backup plan for a different platform and they understand who's going to call who, or whether it's just a phone number. And if the video conferencing platform is not working, that either you'll call your clients or they'll call you after um, after a certain amount of time. So that's important to talk about in advance. It's also important to let them know if they hook up directly to the internet, that that can help with connection. Another uh, best practice that's important is to use headphones because it, it helps with better sound quality. And then it also helps with confidentiality because I, we were joking right before we hit the record button earlier, my five-year-old son is in the background. He's yelling for something from my husband who's on the other side of the house. And then we have a three-month-old baby in the house and you just never know what's going to be happening with your clients. Or for those of you who are um, staying at home and you're participating in social distancing or forced quarantine or whatever that might be because of this scenario, you all understand what that's like to try to find that safe, uninterrupted place to be able to hold your session and then how challenging, how challenging that can be for your clients as well. So talking about these types of things in advance with your clients can help them to feel more comfortable. And this is part of you taking charge. You've got to take charge. You have to come into it with that sense of confidence, not that sense of hesitancy. Oh, well, we'll just figure it out together. No, that's that's not confident. And there's clients already have so much anxiety, especially now because of all of the changes that have happened simultaneously and so many different aspects of their lives. And if you were doing face-to-face sessions before and now you've chosen to take your practice online, it's just one more change that they have to adjust to. And so that's very overwhelming for a lot of people. And that's why it's so important for you to really take charge, to know what the best practices are. And if you don't know what those are, definitely get some training. I know there's certain states who actually require that you have to take training in telehealth before being able to provide that. So you want to make sure you know what the best practices are and that you take charge with your clients to help them understand, okay, here's what to expect. Here's how we handle it if this happens. Here's how we handle it if that happens. Also, another best practice is you want to make sure that you're getting emergency contacts for your clients. You want to know where they're located, what their address is. Um, If you're not in the pandemic like we are now and your clients just happen to travel a lot. You want to know what is the address that they're at? What's the local police department? Just in case something were to happen, they were to have um, a seizure while you're on the phone with them, or you were concerned about their safety, whether uh, they were an at-risk client or not. You just never really know what's going to happen. And you want to have those types of resources in place beforehand. I just wanted to add some other stuff about logistics. And again, when we talk about logistics, this creates more effectiveness and confidence for you as the provider. And again, like Kate said, and I love love that you say that, is it's time to take charge and be directive. So one of the things that Kate and I constantly talk about, um, I know that as therapists, we really love paperwork, not. (laughs) But the reality is, is paperwork should just be an extension of the clinical practice um, and building an alliance and a relationship with your client. It can create a conversation. And 
and one of the things that Kate and I really love about what we've created um, through paperwork is you also have the therapist experience. It's not just the laws and rules. Um, it's a therapist experience. So some other logistics I've come across, um, and it's funny, Kate, that you talk about backups. I have a, a session later today. So I sent out the link and I said, we're going to go here first. If that link doesn't work, we're going to go to this one, right? And so it's already prepared. So if it's not working, I don't need to go pull another link and then send an email and all this back and forth is having those different platforms is important. Um, Beth, I know before we hopped on, you were talking about uh, a session that you had where clients will sometimes use their phone. And that's great. That's might be all that they have access to. So some logistics that you can help prep them is like Kate said, not only the use of headphones, but have your phone propped up in a place because what happens is if they're holding their phone, they're going to get tired and they're moving it and then they might lay down or, and it gets really uncomfortable. And another thing too, is if someone is going to use their phone is to utilize the do not disturb because what happens a lot of times is if your client gets a call, they'll get kicked off the platform. So they have the do not disturb that decreases the interruption of session. And one other thing is a lot of the ethics talk about, um, it's our job as therapists and the laws talk about this too, right? It's our job as therapists to ensure clients' confidentiality. So one of the ways that we can do that when we're providing telehealth is obviously we need to assure the confidentiality, headphones, but being in a room where our computer, the back of our computer is towards the door, right? God forbid you forget to lock your door, someone walks in, a family member, especially right now, um, then we're you know, continuing to assure client confidentiality and they're not going to see their face. They're not going to hear them because you had headphones on. Um, and I know that we're in a time of crisis and we're trying to do the best we can as therapists as well as our clients. But we really want to give you these solid tips um, of therapists to use telehealth to kind of, for you guys to get really confident and have this effective relationship with your clients. So those are just some other logistic things that popped in my mind as we were chatting. I'm glad that both of you brought those things up um, because it is the wild, wild west. You know, this is something that for many of us is uh, is unknown. And even for folks that are comfortable with it, the the dynamics have changed. You know, it, the the demand is different. And to jump back to the research piece, I know I've spoken with a lot of therapists that um, that feel ineffective. That, that at the end of a video session, it's like, was, was I as good with this person as I would have been if they were sitting on my couch? And for the people that are listening, um, when we look at the data, and I'm glad that Katie brought this up, the APA has released a lot of information about this, particularly recently. But to tell you about some of it, um, in 2009, there was a, a a review of 148 publications that looked at the difference between video conferencing and face-to-face -face and found that there were equally high levels of patient satisfaction and moderate to high clinical satisfaction uh, and in general, positive clinical outcomes. So even though it feels like we're not as effective the outcomes um, don't speak to that. And I think what Kate said as well about making sure you have a plan in place, I think is part of that because we're talking about really the therapeutic frame and trying to work in now for many clients that have been existing clients, they're not coming to us in telemedicine and we start with them. We are now asking them to transition to something that is new for us and new for them. And the importance, as Kate said, of really trying to lead that charge and take control. So I like the idea of, of setting the frame and coming up with policies and procedures and being very... Um, assertive in that process. Um, before we move on, do, do either of you have anything to add to that piece of how to kind of set the frame therapeutically? Yes, it's such an important part because how you bring it up is going to directly influence how they experience this and whether they want to be a part of it or not. You want to make sure that you're presenting telehealth with confidence and assertively discussing the benefits and quoting some of the research on efficacy so that they understand that this is something that's actually based in research and to not bring it up in a way that you're kind of like wishy-washy or hesitant. Well, we'll just do it from week to week or we'll go day by day. That creates anxiety for people. They need to know that they need to know what to expect. And so if you're going to bring this up, do so in a way that you frame it as this will be temporary, temporary. And for the foreseeable future or the next 90 days or the next 60 days, give them a time frame of what to expect so that it's not week by week and it's just kind of like up in the air and, and you guys are just going to figure it out as you go. 
I think that's a great point in us taking the lead on that and to share some more of the research that I know our technology even right now isn't working. So I want to share it with our listeners. Um, according to a 2010 study in the Journal of Clinical Psychiatry, when they were looking at the outcomes of treatment for post-traumatic stress disorder, either delivered via video therapy or in-person therapy, they found that the outcomes um, were equally effective. And also in 2008, a meta-analysis of 92 studies found that the difference between internet based therapy and in person were not uh, statistically significant. So again, it may be helpful. And Kate, I think you have a good point that we should feel empowered as clinicians to say, hey, I, I basically to inoculate, I know this may feel uncomfortable. And I think we'll find a groove. And the good news is that the research is on our side. Would you like me to hear, you know, like you like me to tell you about some of it to bring them comfort and confidence and knowing that this is something that is uh, pretty widely utilized and that it's not this um, substandard modality that we're utilizing in the face of the pandemic. Absolutely. And one of the ways that clinicians can also boost their confidence with this is to get comfortable with it themselves. Because if you're not familiar, familiar with online counseling and the platforms, it's important for you to get confident with that. It's important for you to practice with this. And again, as I was saying earlier, you could get some additional training, but with the practicing, practice with some of your colleagues, practice with family or friends. And I know a lot of us who are practicing social distancing right now are having ways of creatively getting together with friends through Zoom, through um, FaceTime, through other types of um, ways of connecting with people online since we can't do so in person right now. So make sure that you're you're really practicing to get more comfortable with that. And then there's also some things that you can do with your clients to help them feel more confident as well. You can offer to do a trial run with them before their session. So you could schedule a specific time to do a trial run, or you could meet with them 10 minutes early before the session so that they can get on the platform, they can connect the, the sound and the video and make sure that they know how to, how to handle it all. And you can also create systems around telehealth to make your life easier. Because if you have a full caseload of, let's say, 20 to 25 clients that you're seeing in, in private practice at any given time, maybe it's more, maybe it's less, depending on your definition of full, that's a lot of people to be training and teaching how to get more confident. It's a lot of extra time on top of everything else that's going on and all the other things that you've got to keep up with. So if you are to able, if you were able to actually record a video, you could record a screencast um, and talk through your clients exactly where to go, what the website is, what buttons to click on, how to get their audio working, how to get their video working. By showing them what to do visually, that helps to decrease the anxiety for clients. It helps them to feel more comfortable with knowing how to get on the platform and knowing what to expect. And there's also some other, some other ways of systemizing your practice, like creating email scripts so that you don't have to recreate the wheel every single time. And you can create those with the links specifically to be able to send to your clients. So you just want to remind them about what to do, be in a quiet space, bring their headphones for privacy and, and best sound quality. You also want to recommend that they don't record the sessions. That's for their their best interest in terms of confidentiality and privacy, because you never know if they were to record a session where that might end up and that could put you at risk, but could put them at risk. So if you, if you take the time to really educate your clients and let them know what to expect, kind of like handholding throughout the process in the beginning, they start to become more confident with the process, more comfortable with the process. And it really does take a lot of that anxiety out. I think the advice you just gave is is really important to gently work alongside our clients and supporting them in this. And I know I've heard from so many clinicians that have had relatively high dropout rates in the last few weeks from their face-to-face -face clients that when they said, okay, we need to go video, client said, no way, no how, I'm not comfortable with that. And then clinicians asking others, you know, how, how do you talk to clients about this transition for the ones that are hesitant? How do you encourage them? And what are some ideas? Um, one of the things that I heard was um, one clinician had suggested offering a free 10 or 15 minute trial session where it's like, hey, let's Let's just try it. Um, and I'm not going to charge you anything, but I, I want you to, to, to give this a shot and we'll see if this will work. How do you feel about that? And do you have other recommendations? Yeah, I think that I think that's great to be able to offer that free 15 minute trial session. And it, 
just helps them to dip their toes in the water and see that the water feels just fine. And there's so many people have these preconceived notions and fears about what will happen, what it will be like, how it will be so different. Um, I want to encourage you guys to think outside of the box, think creatively as well, and look at opportunities to be flexible with this. Because especially for those of you that are listening as we're going through the current um, coronavirus pandemic crisis, if your clients are working from home, they're cooped up with their kids, if they've got young kids in the household like I do, it's very hard to get a standard 50-minute session in at one particular time. So you might have to think outside the box and think about breaking down your sessions to half-hour sessions, you know, 25 minutes, um, or quarter hour sessions to do mini sessions, or maybe to do a couples intensive. If, if the kids are, uh, if you're working with couples and they, you know, you find that it's hard to get through things in that 50 minutes, then maybe you do a little bit more of an intensive and they're able to work out the other pieces so that they can really safeguard that time. So we want to encourage you to really think outside of the box in terms of how you're meeting your clients' needs and what's really going to work for them, what's going to work for you during this time. I appreciate that guidance because I think it is a time where we're thinking outside the box. And it's also important for us to have um, guidelines and boundaries around that. You know, right now we have clients, as you said, that are at home and they have young children. And so they are trying to figure out when they can do therapy. And it's important for us to have self-care and boundaries, but we also may need to also explore how much flexibility we're able to have. Are are we willing to meet with a couple client at 8 p.m. when we normally wouldn't, but that's the only time that the kids are asleep. So I think it is important for us to give ourselves flexibility and grace in exploring that and also understanding that we need Need to have boundaries around scheduling because I know telemedicine, um, there's, I think because it's a different kind of intimacy, like many of us are in our homes, our clients are in their homes. Sometimes it changes the expectation of how things are going to go. So I think in the conversations I've had, the importance of having kind of structure around when you're available um, to meet with clients and when you're not and making sure to have a boundary between work and home. Yes, definitely. And that's extra challenging right now for a lot of people it's important to, it's kind of like a both and where you've got to find ways to be flexible in ways that you're comfortable, that's going to work for you and your clients. And then you also have to have those firm boundaries to protect that personal life and to not step into too much self-disclosure or, you know, you have your kids running in in the background or you never know what's really going to happen in these types of situations. So you've got to find those, those boundaries to set for yourself and for your family as well during these times. Um, what you just said about self-disclosure, I think is a really interesting point. Um, I had seen a thread on social media where someone said, you know, I, I'm a, th a therapist said I'm in my home and I feel really vulnerable. You know, it's like, well, yes, it's just a bookcase behind me. It just feels really intimate to have my clients see kind of this part of my inner world. And it was interesting to see the discussion because it ranged from it's important to keep your professionalism and basically take away anything that's personal. And then the other side of the coin, which was, well, maybe this is a jumping off point for some authenticity that we otherwise wouldn't have had. But so being very careful, I think, and, and this is another conversation for another time, but the importance of self-care and making sure that we have appropriate boundaries, that we are meeting our own needs, because this is you know, by and large, we're at the front wave right now. And this is probably going to get significantly worse before it gets better. And these days are very heavy for providers. Um, I want to, and speaking of that, I actually want to ask you about that piece. I've seen so many clinicians say, I'm exhausted after doing online therapy. Like it takes five times more out of me. Can you speak to that from your own experience, what you've seen and your advice on how clinicians can work through that? Yeah, I, I wanted to touch first on the piece about the self-disclosure and self-care because that is so important. First and foremost, we have to take care of ourselves first. And we're all going through this together. We're going through the exact same thing that our clients are going through. It's isomorphic. The same strategies and challenges that they're trying to use, that they're trying to navigate as they're quarantined at home, we're all going through the same thing. And no one really knows exactly how this is going to turn out. So there's a lot of anxiety and a lot of... Um, 
unknown for both the clients and the clinician navigating this whole new world. And so you have to be even more cautious about the self-disclosure because we are all in this together. And to some extent, you could use some of that for normalizing and um, it has to be very intentional. And you, and a good question to ask yourself is, who is this going to benefit? Is this for the benefit of myself or is this for the benefit of my client? And that's something that we talk about in ethics when Katie and I teach ethics and would teach the ethics and boundaries in the state of Florida. And so by asking yourself that, it helps you to get really clear on what the intention is and making sure that it's always for the benefit of your clients. Because also, if you're not taking good care of yourself and you're in that place where you're just completely overwhelmed and you're just showing up and you're trying to do your best, which a lot of us are, we're showing up, we're trying to do our best. You could easily slip into some information that's really not in the client's best interest and relating to them too much. So you have to be really cautious there. In terms of uh, the second question that you would have, or the question that you would ask most recently about the draining and emotional exhaustion that can come, and even physical exhaustion from looking at the video screen, it is it is real, and that is something that's affecting so many people. Because when you're in a room with with someone, it's like you have them in full dimension, right? And then when you're looking at a screen, it's just this, this two-dimensional thing. And the blue light is exhausting on your eyes. You're staring at the little dot. You might be looking at yourself on the screen while trying to talk to your clients. If you're not comfortable with how you, know, with how you look, you might be distracted by that. You, there's just so many other factors that come to play in this, not to mention all of the stress in our current situation with the coronavirus pandemic. So there's, there's a lot of intensity around this and a lot of areas it, it personally and then professionally you're navigating a whole new world and trying to help your clients to feel confident and comfortable navigating this with you in terms of trying to do the best that you possibly can clinically with your clients with whatever presenting problems they're struggling with and some types of clients can be more challenging than others if you're working with a high conflict couple and it's usually really intense sessions in the actual therapy space when you're in the same room with them and then you're online with them, you might not be able to step in and interject in the same way that you could before. So you might find that there's a lot more challenges to navigate. And then the, all the, also this pressure on yourself as a clinician to want to perform your best, to want to do the best for your clients and maybe feel like in some ways you could be falling short because it is so different. And it's so important to have some self-compassion, to be gentle on yourself, to definitely do your best and give your best. And if you know that you're not able to that day and you need to have a mental health day yourself, allow yourself to have that. Because if you're not okay and you're not staying grounded in this process and you're not taking good care of yourself with whatever outlets those are, you're not going to be able to be as effective for your clients. So it's really knowing how to navigate that, getting peer supervision or formal, formal supervision with your mentors during this time is something that's really essential. We've all got to stay connected as clinicians. We've all got to support each other through this. And if there's cases that you need to consult to get feedback on, on how to navigate th these types of scenarios virtually, do so. It's really, really important. I, I'm glad you brought up that point. And also, you know, if we have it available to us, our own therapy, you know, we have our own anxieties about what's going on. And, and it is a really interesting time because we are supporting, but we also need support and can't forget that piece. Um, it, it can feel like a lot of pressure. So let's talk about kind of some practical tips for clinicians that are adjusting to this. And I know for me, I have had more back pain in the last three weeks <laughs> because I don't sit in this chair. When I bought my desk chair, I was not thinking that I was going to be spending hours on end sitting in it, staring at a computer screen because usually I use my, my fancy, you know, therapy chair, if you will. And I know there are lots of people in that, in that boat. So what are some tips for those of us that are getting new to this that we can do like scheduling our sessions differently? What advice to try to um, make this as pleasurable an experience for us as possible? And then we'll talk about how to make it a pleasurable experience for clients. What a great question. And this is something that we're all adjusting to <laughs> as we're learning to figure out what our bodies need, what our minds need, what our, what our eyes need as we're staring at the computer screen for so long. There are a lot of different things that you can do to help yourself 
first off, look at your schedule, look at the types of clients that you're seeing, know which clients are going to take more out of you than others and give yourself a break after that to get up, walk around, get outside, change your environment. That is something that's so helpful. So first off, looking at your schedule and rearranging your schedule, knowing what you need to do to have that, that buffer between clients, right? Maybe when you were in the office setting before and you were seeing clients back to back and you could just do that, no problem. Online is a completely different animal. And so you've got to be, you've got to know, you've got to readjust your expectations there. Well, and actually I want to share something with our listeners, speaking of adjusting expectations. So here I am spending this time with Kate and she and I are looking at each other through a video feed and Katie has fallen off because the internet is apparently not on our side right now. So the platform that we're using to record this podcast in this moment of either serendipity or irony, or maybe both. Now I'm here with Kate instead of the three of us having this conversation. And it's kind of a perfect example of this, the stuff that can go wrong um, and that increases stress, you know, when we can't connect with our clients, it's just, it's different. Like it's, it's a pretty rare occurrence that we're sitting there in a room with a client and they just stop talking, you know, and then that I don't think their faces get pixelated. You know, I don't think that happens in person. So we're having to give ourselves some grace in rolling with these punches. And as Kate and I are learning right now, we're going to roll with a punch that Katie apparently cannot connect to the platform because everything is overwhelmed. And it's, you know, it is a, an in vivo parallel process. Yes, it is. It is. It's so interesting. And Katie's been texting me saying she's trying to get on and she can't, I, she doesn't know what's happening. So it's okay. We'll roll with it. <laughs> she might pop in later or she might not. She likes to keep us on her toes. <laughs> so it, in terms of comfort, you want to know what your body needs. Try to make your setup as comfortable as possible. Try to organize your, your environment so that when you're sitting there for long periods of time, or maybe you have a standing desk. I know I'm sitting at a desk now, but it's a standing desk. So the ability to be able to raise that so I can shift my body throughout the day, that's something that's really helpful. Um, if you're sitting, you want to make sure you have lower back support you can order a back support pillow online for a very cheap amount of money. And it's something that can make a big difference. You want to make sure you have the proper lighting, not only for the quality of the video that people have, but for the comfort of your own eyes, you want to make sure that you have light that's actually behind your computer screen coming towards your face so that clients can see you clearly and that helps them to feel more comfortable. And then also for yourself, that it's not really hard on your eyes there are also blue light glasses that can be helpful for people who work at, I see Beth is pointing to her eyes for those. Yep, I'm wearing them right now. Yeah. Everybody can't see, but um, she's pointing to her glasses and that can protect your eyes for sure. And so it's just looking, looking into those little changes that you can make that can make a big difference. And then also giving yourself breaks, like I said earlier, to walk around the house Get outside if it's safe for you to do so, if it's possible for you to do so. I know down here we live in sunny South Florida, and so it's it's immensely helpful for me to be able to schedule a break to step outside or go for a walk in between long periods of time working on the computer and scary, staring at the screen. Also doing stretches, exercise, restorative yoga, Pilates, that is something that can really help. I see Katie is back on with us and she's nodding. So it looks like she can actually hear us now. Can you actually hear us? Are you back in? Yes. I wasn't sure if you guys, uh, you know, told people I was gone. So that's the reality of things that happen with like technology, right? So all of a sudden it stopped detecting my headphones and I was in a panic and I refreshed numerous times and that didn't work. And I changed headphones and that didn't work. And I was on chat and I had to restart my computer. So that stuff happens. And of course you want to be able to work that in your session because if you're having a tech issue or your client's having a tech issue is rest assured and assure them that, Hey, we'll extend the session or we'll plan another time. So those things are just really important. And again, you know, a lot of the stuff that we share is because we've been through that um, and, you know, have these lovely tech issues, but other things that I would like to add to what you're talking about right now. So interestingly enough, I've had a lot of hard time with exactly the stuff you're talking about. So this morning I ordered actually a heating pad that like wraps around your neck um, it goes down your back and like this thing called the massage gun. So I'm very excited about that. Um, but it is really taking care of yourself. And I did about an hour of restorative yoga this morning. So really that self-care is so essential now, um, you know, being at the computer. But like everything that Kate had said is making sure that, you know, you're comfortable and taking care of yourself. 
Um, I think this idea of self-care is critical. And Kate, you brought up something that I think is also really important. We talked a little bit earlier about scheduling and, you know, maybe needing to be creative in offering 20-minute check-ins or whatever it is with clients because they maybe can't get in a full session or they may not really have the attention span for it. And I want to spend a little time kind of talking about that piece. But the other thing that I've heard um, when I was talking with Dr. Amber Elida a couple of weeks ago, one of her recommendations was to give yourself flexibility in scheduling and add a buffer now in between sessions. So instead of seeing clients, you know, at 10, at 11, make it at 10, at 11, 15, and give yourself some extra time there to allow not only for technological issues, um, but also to to get that break and stand up and walk around because it's just, it's a different thing. Like I, I, I lean in a lot more when I'm talking to somebody online and maybe other clinicians are in the same boat. And so I found myself needing to stagger my schedule differently than I would before. And I appreciate your guidance as well about being mindful of what clients you're seeing and when, you know, when during the day, do you have your highest energy level? And I think, you know, probably all of us talked about this in our master's degrees of like being aware of certain clients at certain times of day and wanting to be even more mindful now, especially as we transition to an uncomfortable modality to keep all of those kind of factors in mind. Um, So now that we've kind of talked about some ways for clinicians to take care of themselves during this process and to try to be kind of their best selves, like you said, make sure you have adequate lighting. Your clients want to be able to see your facial expressions. Um, And then for clients, how do we advise them to make changes so that they can get the most out of their telehealth sessions? ensuring them to ensure their confidentiality, setting up the computer or the phone in a place that's comfortable for their neck. But one thing that I do realize and I share with them is um, it's different than in session where I can catch the little like things they might turn and say to each other when they're together, the audio kind of, so I'll just say, what did you say right there? Um, You know, and so some of this, you are kind of adjusting with them, but there are definitely like those logistical things that you can ensure. I know that one client I had yesterday Um, you know, people are in the house, right? And so it is a little bit harder for confidentiality so they can turn on some music or, you know, um, maybe they'll talk into the corner of their room or a wall or like before we got on, I know Kate was having some issues with her mic and it sounded really echoey. Um, So utilize, you can put a towel under the door to create, you know, better, um, you know, sound or buffer sound out. So there's all these little things that you guys are going to learn partly on the fly. And hopefully we've given you a lot of tips to consider and really just helping clients navigate this, this process, but same things that we would do. You know what I mean? I mean, clients aren't just spending, you know, an hour, 30 minutes with us online. They're working from home, you know, they're having difficulty too. So telling them the things that you guys are doing and assure that they're practicing good self-care is super essential. And part of this is just having a conversation and being able to find solutions for the unique problems, especially now, because it's, you know, we're, we're all home all day long with our families, with all these dynamics that aren't usually a part of the face-to-face therapy sessions. Because if I work a lot with couples as well, and couples a lot of times would come to therapy, that would kind of be like a date night thing. They'd go have dinner afterwards. And, and that was kind of their thing that they would do. The kids would stay home with a sitter, but now they can't leave. They can't go anywhere. They're at home with the kids. And so being able to have conversations and asking them, okay, well, what would be realistic for you? What would be realistic for your kids during this time while you're having a session? So it's that uninterrupted time. And for clients, they might need to have more flexible expectations of the kids. Maybe they have a specific project that the kids are working on during that time, or maybe they're allowing them to watch a movie, you know, and, and they're relying more on technology because they can't have a sitter or a family member or somebody else that is coming into the house because everybody's at risk of, of exposure for COVID. So it's, it's really being able to have those conversations and assess this with your clients to navigate this together. Um, I think, I mean, I, I know kind of these practical things have come up in the last couple of weeks that I hadn't expected. Um, one of them, I have multiple tables in my office on the sides of the couch and there are ample Kleenex available and to be sitting there recently and a client, you know, became upset and, and then there was a struggle of, oh my goodness, I have nothing to wipe up my tears with. And so that was a really interesting moment of like, oh, that wouldn't happen in, in the therapy office. You know, that's, that's, that's therapy 101 must have enough Kleenex. Um, (laughs) And so I think, like you said, we're learning this on the fly and then, and I commented on it and it turned it in, you know, turned into like a little joke. And, and then the next session, the client 
had Kleenex and showed me and it was like, okay, I'm ready now, you know, but how we can, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking of the sessions I've had, you know, making sure that the clients have adequate lighting themselves, that sometimes they've been backlit by a can or by a, um, by a light or by a window behind them. Even one was a candle and I couldn't see their facial expression. Mm -hmm. And then having myself to kind of clarify and say, I think, I think you're, you're tearful. Is that right? Can you tell me about that? Um, and it and it's really unusual to do that. I've never been in that position, but I think to empower ourselves, it's kind of the space to be rolling with this. Um, you two have so much experience with this. What are some other things that you recommend to clients? Kind of so you, you know to like you said to potentially turn on music outside the room to put a towel underneath um, underneath the door. I've also had clients that have taken sessions in the car. Uh, what are other ways that you feel like we can support clients in coming up with solutions to make this easier and more comfortable for them? I think ultimately is you know this is a very interesting time where you know, we're not at our best selves. And so just giving them the permission, like, hey, this might not be perfect. And we're going to figure out this together. Um, and like you said, Beth is, you know, there's certain things that I'm like learning and logistically and things like that on the fly, even though I haven't, I've done this for a while and can, you know, usually I'm pretty proactive and being able to convey all the messages and things like that. So letting them know that we're in this together. One thing that I would like to say is because you are in your own space, um, you know, I think you need to assure your own level um, of like self-disclosure because there might be things in your house or wherever you you're deciding to do telehealth that is exposed on the video. Um, so as a clinician is just kind of check around for yourself. Like, are you in a place where you have pictures of all your family? Cause clients will ask about those things like, Oh, who, Oh, who's that there? You know? Um, and they get curious. Um, so just being aware of your own surroundings and your own comfort level, but clients also really appreciate authenticity. You know what I mean? I know yesterday on my um, sessions, I had been online already and my neck was killing me and I showed up with a heating pad with a scarf wrapped around it uh, because that was the only way I could put the heating pad on. Hence why I bought the new heating pad to th this morning, but just kind of letting them know like, Hey, you know, you might think this is odd wearing a scarf in 80 degree weather here in Florida. Yes. I'm just you know, my neck's bothering me a little bit, you know? So, I mean, there's going to be things that you're just going to have to bring up and show up and just have conversation about that. And then just, you know, move off you and refocus on them. Um, but allowing them to have compassion too, like Kate was saying, like the interruption with the kids and things like that, like, Hey, that's okay. Um, you know, and, and too, sometimes kids will get curious. I know every time I'm on, um, you know, online with Kate, her son always wants to stop by and say hi, which is actually a really joy to me. He's just the sweetest boy. Um, but yeah, kids might interrupt and they they might want to say hi and they might want to know so you can you know say hey so if someone interrupts you or your teen you know and they see me you know who, who are you gonna what are you gonna say well, how can I be helpful to you um do we call this a work call um so those are just things that you know just kind of come to mind but again you're doing the best you can the clients are doing the best they can you know when you really have your best practices the ethics and laws and understanding those things we're all doing pretty good <laughs> Um, other things that I've experienced also just thinking back even the last few weeks, uh, encouraging clients to close out other windows, not only for the preservation of the bandwidth, but also to minimize uh, distraction. And and I could tell because I could see the coloring on their face change. Like I could hear like a click and then like the coloring would change. And and then also as a therapist saying, oh, you know, I'm wondering if you're looking at something else. I'm happy to wait, but can we, you know, let me know when you're ready and we can refocus and, and be in the therapy room. And to continually, I think, go back to the frame and encouraging them to have that safe space, that this is their time just for this, um, to turn off other notifications. It's, it's just, like I said, it's a wild, wild west where I'm, I'm encountering things that I've never seen before. Um, and, and certainly in my clients as well, you know, that are, that, um, are showing up in telehealth in a way physically that they wouldn't show up in the room, either in the clothing that they're wearing or in their hygiene. And so it's, it's certainly ripe with grist for the mill. <laughs> And you're both nodding and, and laughing. So I know, I know you both have your stories. So I think we're all kind of adjusting to what this means together. And I like what you said, Katie, of just kind of the importance of grace. It's like we're doing the best that we can and so are they. And that this is a time of vulnerability that hopefully is going to be the groundwork for a deeper connection, not the opposite. You know, as you say that, Beth, I'm also very aware of there's no other time where you're having a session that you're also looking at yourself 
right? So sometimes you might catch yourself and be like, what is going on? You know, I, I see lots of jokes going around, like, you know, will they please allow therapists to at least see their hairdressers or stylists, right? So you also have to be aware of that, of like, what do you look like on video and, and don't get so caught up in what you're sharing. I know that a lot of the formats have like a speaker view where your client is large, like Zoom, you could do side by side. So if you kind of get lost in what's going on with you or, you know, maybe your eye makeup is messed up, I don't know. Um, you know, just assuring that, that, you know, do that check and make sure that during the sessions that you're, you're, you're showing up the way that you want to show up too. And, you know, everything. That's a really interesting point. I actually, even as we're recording this right now, what I do is I actually pull another window and I cover myself up, um, so that I am entirely focused on the other people that are talking because it, it can be so distracting. And I know clients are in their own spaces, so they're more likely to get distracted by the things that are around them, whatever might be on their desk or on their bed or however they're doing this. So it is, it is just a, a very unusual kind of circumstance. So, um, so, so far we've talked about the general effectiveness of telehealth. We've talked about some ways for clinicians to improve their transition to this process and boundaries that they can set, what to expect, and then also ways to support clients. One of the other questions that I've seen a lot, and Katie, you touched on this a little bit, particularly with people that are, um, that maybe struggle with inattention as it is, or with children or adolescents, what is some guidance that you have about how to engage them? Because it's it's a different thing. And I also want to spend a moment also talking about how to engage people that are not uh, technology natives. So they're folks that maybe have never done a FaceTime session at all, you know, Skype, FaceTime, any kind of a video session, regardless of whether or not it's for medicine or therapy. Um, so please, either one of you jump in with children and adolescents or folks that struggle, struggle with inattention. W- what's your advice on how we do this? So one of the things that we always recommend as best practices is like just doing a trial run. And interestingly enough, I've heard people kind of assume that elderly have a more difficult time. And interestingly enough, I have a millennial couple that was like, I'm not really sure about this. And so what I do is I just invite them like, this is not part of session. Let's just see how it is. If you guys totally like hate it, I get it, you know, but at the same time, let's just experience it. Right. So you just kind of invite them on and, and see how it goes, answer any questions they have. Again, it's not like they're in a, in a time constraint because now it's their session and they're paying for their session or they only have a certain amount of time. Um, we do it outside the session so that they can feel comfortable. And again, it's just kind of like, the beautiful thing is as therapists is we have amazing skills is that we just need to realize our skills inside the room also really apply to telehealth. Um, And that is through those conversations of, you know, decreasing the concern, the anxiety, the resistance to things. And it's just exploring and having conversations and and practicing Um, in regards to people who have an inattention. I think it's very similar, like, Hey, we can, in 15 minutes, let's just take a two minute break. Maybe we both need a stretching break and let's come back to this. Um, or like you said, you know, Beth is, you know, when you're on video non-verbally, you can see, um, and you can just say, Hey, is it, is it time that we just kind of take a break? Do you need a stretch just to check in? You know, one of the cool things I think about telehealth is that I think we even have to be more aware and, and attuned, um, to our clients. Like you were saying, it's like, um, you know, I think you're tearful. I'm not exactly sure just with the lighting. So I just want to check in who you are. Okay. Can you tell me more about that? Um, so the attunement is even there, I think in a stronger way, which is to me is better outcomes for clients, right? Because they're really feeling like the therapist is really focused on, on them and building that relationship. That's a really good point. And I know one thing I've seen with children and adolescents, and you mentioned it earlier, but the ability to do a screen share, to send PDFs. I know that with my adolescents, I've made an effort to have a window already open to certain websites or to, you know, my Google folder of things that, that I've used before. You know, if it's using DBT's Dear Man communication skills, for example, it's like, here, we can work on this. But empowering clinicians to try to utilize the technology in a way that that mirrors what they would do in the room because you you might walk across to your file cabinet and grab a file and say oh hey you know here's a mandala would you like to color it and see how that does while we while we talk uh, but to encourage clients to do those kind of things
things, even if it feels a little awkward online, it's still, I think, as you said, to remember that we still have those skills and that most, if not all of them, translate online in their own way. And the beauty of like what you're talking about with teens and children, a lot of times, children especially, is they kind of like love to show you things, right? And being able to get into their home environment, hey, do you want to take me on a tour of your room or your house? And the cool thing is, I think then as a therapist is you could start to pick up like, oh, we could use that or that's an interesting toy or interesting game. Um, you know, so that we have access to more resources if we look at if we choose to look at it that way um, in regards to working with our clients. It's just it's an adjustment. That's a really good point. I, I actually hadn't thought about that, but, you know, it almost an, an invitation for a show and tell that could increase our connection and understanding of how this person operates in their world, not in our office. Yeah. I, I'm reminded of that because I used to I do so much in homework and it was such a cool opportunity just to, you know, be in someone's space and see how they interact. Right. And a lot of times their own boundaries and defensivenesses are lower. And so we get to actually experience them in a different way. Um, so it sounds like in your experience of folks that are not as familiar with technology, your primary recommendation is to invite them in, give them a, a free kind of trial so that they can have that opportunity to do a trial run. And then as, as Kate and I had talked about, um, when technology had taken you away from us, um, giving the option to, um, make up time or allow time at the beginning of a session to sort out the technology and understand that that's not part of that, you know, billable hour, that 50 minute hour and trying to be flexible with those kind of things. Um, before we kind of tie this up, uh, are there any other pieces of advice that either of you have that we haven't talked about yet about how to, um, how to work with this and specifically support clients? I think we have covered a ton and it was actually, you know, really fun and refreshing and to really have this conversation with you, Beth, and all the clinicians that are listening. We really hope that this has inspired you of the possibilities and kind of the creativity during this time and as you transition over to telehealth. Um, wonderful. So, so here we are now, we've covered all these different things and and many people have probably already started doing some kind of telehealth and now they're doing the back end stuff. It's like, oh, is it HIPAA compliant? What do we do about consents? What are some resources that either of you recommend, particular websites that you really like to try to support people in getting accurate information um, and also updated information? Because I want to state for our, our, our listeners, there are lots of states that in response to this outbreak have changed some of their requirements and some of their laws about operating over state lines, for example, or, um, you know, we know that there have been some changes with HIPAA. But so the importance of considering that what you know to be true may no longer be true and to make sure that you're empowered to reach out to your professional association or to an attorney or, or reliable resources um, to check those. So where do you guys go for accurate information about telehealth right now? I, I always love straight to the source. So if that's your board, you know, check out your board. Um, you're talking about HIPAA and the OCR. Um, Kate and I actually had created a resource list of COVID resources that have a ton of practice builders resources on them. Um, so they're like direct links to other places. Um, but, you know, staying informed, whether you're in a Facebook group, but always going to the source if you're, um, if you take insurance. I know a lot of insurance companies have message boards. Um, and so making sure that you're reading those message boards or getting the emails of the message boards so you can understand, um, you know, the changes that are occurring. So I think there's definitely a lot of resources out there and just staying up to date with them. Great. And I know both of you, like me, are trained in law and ethics and clinical documentation and also wanting to note for our listeners, when you're looking for those resources, if you make a decision based on talking to an attorney, your professional organization, or because there was some um, some statement that was made by your, um, by your licensing body, it's fine to include that in your notes and say this decision was made as a result of XYZ disclosure because some of these things are kind of unusual that we're doing. Um, and so we may be offering therapy over state lines that a month ago was, oh, no, no, that's against the rules. And now it's not. So make sure to document that. Um, so for the folks that are listening that want to learn more about both of you and get in touch with you, um, I also want to point out any resources that Kate and Katie have recommended, we're going to be including on the landing page for this course. So you have access to those. Um, but please tell people how to get in touch with you and learn more about what both of you do, because you bring such a unique kind of expertise to this topic. 
You can find us at privatepracticestartup.com. We also have a free podcast that we release weekly with all sorts of practice building related topics. We have a lot of guest experts that come on. And recently we've been having a lot of topics focused on COVID. We also have our Private Practice Startup Facebook group, which at this time has over 8,000 private practitioners around the globe. We all support each other and um, we have free videos that are relevant to what's going on as we all navigate this world of telehealth with the whole crisis pandemic situation. And we will definitely share with you, Beth, the link to our podcast resources. Um, Well, it's actually a blog with a whole resource list for COVID resources, staying up to date and lots of different categories that are on there. Katie, anything else you want to add? No, we have, I mean, just over in general, we have courses, paperwork and things like that as well. So just head over to the website. You'll see it all there. Wonderful. Katie, Kate, thank you. Um, This has been uh, eye-opening for me. I've learned so much personally, and I hope our listeners have as well. Um, You've covered so many important pieces of information. So thank you for taking time out of your kind of crazy and chaotic schedules that we're all kind of coping with. I really appreciate it. Our pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us on. You've just finished listening to another exclusive Continuing Ed podcast by Clearly Clinical. If you like what you just heard and you need continuing ed credits, please visit us at clearlyclinical.com to check out our one-year membership, where you'll have access to our growing library of continuing ed podcast courses. Clearly Clinical, where our goal is to help you learn, grow, and shine.